0: welcome back to people analytics i'm your host Lindsay patton today i have with me janae norman who is an experienced people leader welcome janae
1: yes hey i'm so glad to be here um and as a people experienced leader with about 10 years of experience i always want to support and work for organizations who recognize the value of people operations, being a cultural steward for organizations to make sure that their workforce is engaged and empowered to do their best work.
0: Yeah. So let's hear about why you do what you do. What brought you into the people arena?
1: Oh gosh, I actually starts my senior year of high school, I Ooh. had a rotational internship. That rotated me through accounting and finance, figured out I'm not very good with other people's money. That's something <laughs> I was really interested in. Um, and then I did risk management. I'm like, wow, I am not really good at watching a Bloomberg stock ticker. So this is around 2011 <laughs> after the height of the financial crisis. And I was like, all right, definitely not something I'm interested in doing. And then I got to HR and it was this merger of people in business and making sure that both could be successful at the same time. And it was something I gravitated toward for my college major of human resources management and truly just that driving force of this is something I could use my gregarious personality. I could figure how business ops works and, and move on from there.
0: Yeah. So you could, it sounds like you got a little bit of experience of what you like, what you don't like. Really early on, it helps set your path.
1: Yes. Yes, it did. Yeah. And I think it really just opened up my eyes to what HR was at the time of, I think it was still around that culture of hire fire. You're there to keep the business out of legal trouble, but there was also this catalyst of, is that the only thing that HR should be there to do?
0: Yeah. So once you graduated, did you have any goals? Did you have a good idea of what you wanted to do?
1: Oh gosh. All right. So I did not, but I did take a minor <laughs> in business Spanish because I just knew for some reason I was moving to Latin America. <laughs> obviously that didn't work out and um i knew i needed to have more of a foundation in human resources so i applied to the john deere human resources leadership development program which was a two to three year or program designed to take hr graduates and make them global hr business partners and give them that foundational experience of hr so compensation and benefits. HR analytics, HR operations, and unionized and non-unionized factories, and really having a holistic view of all the facets of HR. And I think that really helped me figure out that I was stronger in engagement and employee resource groups and recruitment, where I could tell a candidate, this is a great company, come find out why, or, hey, this is a great company, want to help you grow and develop, and these are the resources that we have available for you.
0: Mm-hmm. So one question I always ask guests ask, ask is, um, you know, why do you do what you do? So knowing that you entered, um, you know, the HR area very early in life, has that changed from, you know, when you were a senior in high school to now when you have, you know, years of professional experience?
1: Yes, I think it has changed the way that I approach human resources to making it human Like more people focused. Like I want to have a people first approach to how I develop a people operation strategy like with a level of emotional intelligence that has intentionality and mindfulness at its core. I think it's so important to consider myself a people's champ and a conduit to someone's success and helping them purposely work and grow through growth experiences or coaching and development to really create those inclusive workspaces because I think we've realized that. People operations is no longer just, hey, here's your career path. You're on it for 40 Mm -hmm. years. This is what you need to do to be able to retire. We are helping to close that gap between what we expect of our organizations and what we put in them to get there.
0: Mm. So you said, you know, be intentional and be mindful. What does that look like?
1: Um, Definitely exploring all viewpoints before a decision Mm -hmm. made and making sure the data supports the decisions that we're making. I think it's very easy for the past two to three years to make emotional and rash decisions as it comes to a workforce because it protects a company's bottom line. But your potential and former employees are watching how you handle the pandemic, how you handle remote work, how you handle return to office. And they're going to see, is this a culture I really want to be a part of? And people operations is there to raise our hand. It's good, works, and different to say, hey, I don't think this is the right way we could do something. Could we try it this way and see what our employees feel, see how they're going to feel about this, and actually talking to them, surveying them. We always talk about engagement surveys, but I think they've been weaponized in the way that don't always have a best employee's interest mm-hmm. at heart. So how are we using them in the way to say, Hey, we are able to do this right now, but we could do it for the future.
0: Yeah. But ears did pick up when you said data, because data is something that staff geek is really, really, you know, serious about, you know, because data doesn't lie. So you mentioned surveys as an example. Is there any other way that you use data to help, um, you know, inform uh, how you manage people?
1: Yes. So it is also about attrition rates. I think, Um, especially being in the tech space for the last four or five years. It's very easy to say, hey, we have all this new talent coming in. This talent is super diverse. They're so excited to be here. And yes, we have this avalanche of new people coming in. But then you have this attrition rate that's showing you like, hey, all these people that you're hiring aren't staying beyond two to three years. What is something else that we can do to sort of change the cycle of why people want to be here?
0: Mm, Yeah. And I know your experience, it's diverse in that you've had your own business, worked for yourself, you've worked corporate, you've worked small business, you mentioned tech. So what have all those diverse experiences taught you about, you know, your ideal workplace?
1: Oh, that the workplace may change, but the people don't. There's Mm -hmm. always the same type of person working at an organization. And what it's helped me realize is I want to advocate and design people operations and processes that are unique to the experiences and backgrounds and lives and energy of the people that we employ, Um, because allowing that freedom and space where people know that they are valued for the difference they are making helps bridge the gap, Mm -hmm. bring people together rather than keeping them separated, which is what I think is reality we all want to work towards, and also allowing me to elevate the voices and stories of people who are working to achieve that reality and who are directly impacted by those same systems and structures.
0: Yeah. And I know that, you know, creating healthy boundaries is something that you've been learning throughout your career. And I know in the people space, um, you know, it's easy to not to have loose boundaries or so how, you know, how did you start implementing boundaries for your own mental
1: health? I will say it's definitely easier said than done when it comes to people operations. But I think um, even after the pandemic, having boundaries around something I definitely implemented more this year is taking time for my mental health. So having a licensed psychologist that I see when I am going through these really emotional, heavy employee focus ER cases, or I'm going through things where the empath in me is like, what else can I be doing that may be outside of what I'm supporting my company? And it's also about technology boundaries. Like I am a firm believer of setting my do not disturb for 7 p.m. on my phone, on my computer. It does not matter what it is. If it's after 7 and I have not responded to you, it's because I'm going to see it the next day. Um, I also take time to do a lot of meditation and reading. I think um, something I neglected as I was going through my career to get to this leadership catalyst of where I wanted, thought I wanted to be in my career by the age of 30, it was neglecting um, my mental health and wellness. So making sure I have space and time to take all of that into myself, making sure that I'm sitting down and saying, hey, where am I in my emotional journey today? Is this where I need to take a step away or what else should I be doing? And then in the workplace, I am very firm in my boundaries of, I will go in the interview process being the same person that I am going to be day in and day out because code switching only works for so long before people are like, hey, we don't really remember this version of you in the interview. And making those boundaries known. I have my gym workout every morning on my calendar. I have snack breaks. I have lunch breaks. I am taking walking meetings. You will know this is a walking meeting and being upfront about those boundaries. So when they are crossed, it doesn't come across that, oh, my passion is mistaken for anger, which is very easy for to you and for a diverse leader. But this is something that we acknowledge and agreed upon before I start working here. So let's make sure that we're being clear about respecting the boundaries I'm creating.
0: And if you're comfortable with it, I'd like to take a moment to kind of talk about code switching because I don't know if our entire audience really understands, you know, what that really is. Um, Do you mind sharing examples or talking about that?
1: Um, I think the biggest example, especially for myself of being a Black woman, Black female leader in tech, is my hair. So no matter how much I straighten my hair or I change the color of my hair, if I am coming into a Zoom meeting, the first thing I can always expect is, now, hey, Janae's here for the meeting. Oh, Janae, you changed your hair. It's pink. It's purple. How do you do that? versus being focused on the work that I'm bringing to the table, or why I was hired in the first place, it becomes more of a spectacle than anything else. I'm doing things like straightening my hair, making sure it's plain, so those things don't come out, or I'm changing the inflection of my voice to become more palatable to um, wider audiences, so I'm not using Ebonics, or I'm not Um, using unprofessional language in the workplace because it makes people more tolerable around what I'm saying or hearing the message that I'm giving or changing the inflection in my voice because so I don't come off as the angry black woman in the workplace.
0: Yeah. And I feel a lot of, you know, white leaders, they, they don't see that. And especially, you know, myself being a white leader, you know, it's, it's something that I've only, you know, been aware of the past few years as well. And I think it's really important talk about this because there is there's ignorance in the workplace for sure. Um, so thank you so much for you know elaborating on that so our audience can you know better understand. Um, so talking a little bit more about boundaries, how did your past experiences help teach you about this is what I want to do, this is what I refuse to do?
1: Oh, um, definitely some of my experiences in corporate America. Um, No matter how hard I worked, no matter how many more tasks I took on, whether it be a new project, an ERG, something outside of my overall work scope, especially as an HR generalist, there was always one fine detail or, oh, well, we didn't feel you included everyone because you forgot this group of people. Okay, well, it had a 97% success rate, so I think we we were pretty hitting the mark, and It helped me realize that the late nights weren't worth it. The extra accolades, who were they really for? Was I doing it for myself or to impress the people that I needed a promotion from? And um, it helped me realize that I didn't have to keep myself in a box. I think I learned no fault of my parents of, hey, you just stick your head down. You do the work. You'll be rewarded for it. And then you have this realization two to three years in corporate America, if that's not how it's work. you're up against sexism and racism and nepotism, all of these isms. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I got five years of experience and this person has been promoted twice. And the reason I keep getting told I'm not being promoted is because I'm not personable enough. Okay. What does that mean? Am I not smiling enough in meetings? Did I not wave at you once in a hallway? And that truly helped me realize like, this is just to own who I am, what I look like, what I sound like, and what I bring to the table. Because you can talk about all of the non-important factors, but you can't discredit the work that I've been able to do, what I've been able to accomplish. The only thing you can talk about is, well, you know, those interpersonal things that may have not come out across as well. And my entrepreneurial journey, I think it was more around... um, especially in tech, it was a who you know, not a what. So figuring out networks and channels to be a part of, to be put in front of founders or companies to really say, hey, I am here, I've done the work, this is what it looks like to get you to the next level for your people operations. And then being a leader in tech, it's more about how do I understand the leaders or co-founders that I'm supporting to help them understand the reason that we're venturing in these new... um adventures for people operations is we want to be on the cutting edge. Yes, we have that for our technology, but do we also have it for our people? And what are we doing to do that without compromising my integrity and making those lines in the saying no?
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, I can totally relate to the, put your head down and do your work and be a good worker. And, um, I, I like to think about how we were taught in school and how if you do extra credit, it means you get a better grade. But if you do extra credit in the workplace, it just means you get more work and you don't get more compensation. So I feel like school did not prepare us for this.
1: (laughs) And I wish they had done a job. I think i talked about this from school to my bachelor's to my MBA. um, It was supposed to prepare us for the real world, supposed to prepare me for this new leadership journey. And the year I graduated with my MBA, the pandemic hit. And oh, I'm like, well, boy. so all three years of this information I've learned is sort of obsolete in the way that you think about, well, how do we handle remote work? How do we handle health insurance? practices, And it's how do you learn beyond the formal education outside of just knowing people in your network, or what other people are doing, because it was a new sort of adventure for everyone.
0: Wow, I want to dive into that a little because that is a very unique situation. Um so, you know, you have your MBA, you're graduated and boom, everything changes. How did you adapt?
1: <laughs> um okay, okay. I might have screamed into the void.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> As you do. <laughs> I was like, "You have got to be kidding me!" Um, because it was also from a personal perspective. 2020 was the year I got my MBA, and it's also supposed to be the year I was married and my husband. So on top of oh, it, it wow. the career uh, trajectory, it was also like the whole world of what I expected the year. Oh my goodness! Imploded <laughs> on itself. So I will say I screamed it to avoid <laughs> in about two to three weeks, and then it was joining every HR resource group or Slack channel hashtag that I could be a part of to really see how other companies handling it good, bad, or indifferent and what have they learned from it so far and what feedback are they getting from their employees? So it was a lot of reading, spending time online, a lot of Zoom happy hours. I think we look back on that and say, huh, we probably should have been breaking more bread. But I think it was more around real-time experiences of just sitting down with people who were going through it and picking up what I could learn from them to implement it in the um, products I was still presenting to the the customers and clients that I had who were like, okay, well, now what? Yeah. Well, I, guess, I guess we're going to figure this out together. And um, really sitting down and say, we didn't have the data to support it. It's like, hey, we'll let somebody else do it first. We'll see if It's a trial and error of see if it works for them and then going from there.
0: It seems like it was a pretty supportive community because everyone was in a very similar situation. Is that correct?
1: (laughs) Yes. And I think it was more around we don't have all the answers, but we can advocate to figure it out for ourselves. And then everyone having that recognition of we're all inspiring each other to overcome these challenges and build a future -ready, ready workforce without. Someone stepping on one another to say, Hey, this is my idea first. You need to pay me for it.
0: Yeah. So how are you feeling a couple of years out now that you've connected with people? You've kind of gotten chance to experiment, see what works, what doesn't?
1: Oh, I think I'm in a position to make sure we don't regress to where we were before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what has happened is right now, end of 2022, we've seen, what, 200,000 people laid off in tech. I think it has been an overcorrection of the wealth and abundance that was the year 2021. Um, And making sure that we don't lose sight of goals that corporations promised us summer of 2020. So we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, it's not only making sure that People are counted. Do they feel counted? And I think we regressed in the sense that, hey, yeah, like, well, we did all these hirings for diverse equity and inclusion. And those are the first sort of teams or recruitment teams that are being disbanded rather than saying, hey, how can we make sure we're doubling down on the commitments that we've made? And it doesn't get lost in translation. But right now, I think a lot of companies are focused on that bottom line. Good, bad, or indifference, and we're losing sight of the ground that we were able to cover and make up for the past couple of years, and making sure that the diverse workforce doesn't lose sight of this is just a bump in the road. So, what can we be doing to make sure we're coming better for twenty
0: twenty three? Yeah, and I feel like you know the optics of it all. It kind of you know put put organizations to attest. Like, is this truly what, what you believe or is it just you trying to get clout? So let's talk about optics within an organization because I know that you, you've you got some feelings about
1: it. <laughs> I think it's it's more around making sure we don't come become obsessed with the idea of tokenism in the workplace. I have turned down job opportunities. I've left interview processes because I've ask the question, how do I make sure that I am not the first and only diverse leader in your organization? It's, well, you you won't be, but we're really working on it. Oh, we got people over here. And it's like, no, that wasn't the question I was asking you. Are you making sure that you're advocating for me, not only as a diverse leader externally, but internally as well? You know what I'm going to be up against. You know what it's going to look like, sound like, and feel like. So if I come to you and I tell you, hey, somebody has a weaponized incompetence when it comes to the ideas that I'm sharing or the moves that I want to make that are for the betterment of the employee, and I am telling you why they are. And you come back and say, "Well, they just said they just didn't really vibe with it." Okay. That that's fine, but I, I think we acknowledged this before I came into the organization of what this was going to look like. So, what are you going to do to advocate on my behalf? well, we haven't figured out that part yet, but how can we make sure that both sides play fairly? Okay, well, what does fair look like to you?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, how to, you know, one thing that you discussed is how to identify optics in an organization. So what are the things that you look for? You mentioned in the interview process, there's usually like a red flag that, Ooh. you know.
1: <laughs> we go interview red flags, I think. Um Definitely checking the leadership page. So is there someone like me that is already on the leadership team? If I am doing my research across Crunchbase or LinkedIn and I'm searching diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies or policies or statements, um, what's coming up? If I'm also in the interview process, I also... like to make sure that I'm asking questions that are relevant to what I want to get answered. So what do other people think of your management style? Because I don't want to be micromanaged. I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want to be screamed at. So what do other people perceive your management? Not you, because you may have a totally different perception about how you think you manage people. And then if you interview all of the diverse leaders or employees at your organization what would they say about the diversity and inclusion strategies that you've already implemented and final question I always like to ask is how am I going to be best supported in this role for my professional development and the answer to those you questions usually tell me where companies are investing their money where their focus is as I'm being hired for this position and what they think success like looks like in the role um, outside of the monetary equations of you know this is just good for our bottom line. Okay. We've moved on that business case. Where there is the authentic respect for my capabilities and experience that I'm bringing to the table.
0: Absolutely. And so what, in your opinion, are some ways that organizations really need to step up in this area?
1: Um, I think being transparent about the data of their employees as an organization, being transparent about salary. I think Not every state that has a new transparency salary law. I'm like, thank you because close the gap, not only for minorities across the workspace, but women as well. Cause if I can tell that, Hey, you're going to be paying me the same as another white male leader in your organization, I could feel more comfortable. At least the skills are equitable in that sense. So what else can we be doing to make sure they, they are balanced. And making sure that you're not being performative in your diversity strategies as it relates to working periods and mothers. Like you've talked about remote work. Remote work was the way of the future two years ago. Why are we now saying people need to return to the office four to five days a week if remote work has worked perfectly fine for the past two to three years? Um, And having strategies that relate to benefits programs that make it equitable and fair for everyone. Like we've had this big push for parental leave policies, but what does it look like for employees who don't want to have children? Is there pet leave policies? Is there friendship policies? How are people creating families in their own way outside of the traditional waves that we've seen in the past? And then finally, making sure that we don't have cultures that are strictly focused around vices. I think the biggest way is alcohols, happy hours or hey what are you drinking or we're going to get going to the bar after work so how can we create new things that don't tie people to a vice and we're cooking or we're meditating or we're doing yoga of new healthy ways for for people to be involved and having fun at work
0: yeah and you know when we first connected one thing that you brought up was the aspect of trailblazing and how you know companies they they hold up you know the first um but you know the people who are the first it's kind of a different perspective could you elaborate on
1: that perspective <laughs> um in full transparency i think it's very easy especially at this point in in my career to say i'm tired it's very I need to keep the door open for the people behind me. But it's very difficult to go to a new workplace or a new company and start over every time and say the quiet part out loud and be reprimanded for it or tell the, hey, it's not really how we want to say we're going to get to it eventually. But making sure that I'm taking time to heal from that trauma being a trailblazer to truly be able to move forward for the betterment of the people who are going to come behind me. Um, But I will say it hasn't been an easy journey and I know if I wasn't doing it, there'd be other people, but I know my voice matters in this space. And what I'm doing is looked at as being important to people who want to get to where I am right now.
0: Yeah. I I can imagine there is a spotlight and you feel like everybody is, is looking at, at you when you're in that position. That has to be, yeah, like tired. Yeah, I, could, I can totally see how that's tiring.
1: Yes. I mean, yeah. it's very easy to say, oh, we are so glad that you are a cultural innovator and a pioneer <sighs> in this space yeah. and you deserve this recognition and we can't wait to have you on the team. And then six months later, it's okay. Okay, yeah. I know we said all those things in the interview process, But some of it is really coming across aggressive. Oh yeah. There's that word. Is it aggressive because of the passion that I have around the topic of what I'm doing or being perceived as aggressive because I'm a black woman in this space and I'm speaking my truth. And it's very hard not to get wrapped up in it personally but knowing that how you perceive me is not actually what I am and moving forward
0: mm-hmm. from it. Yeah,
1: recognizing you know you've had a lot of challenges
0: in in your career, I am just so happy for the place that you are right now where you have those boundaries. You're saying no, I'm not going to stand for this. And you're really creating a space for yourself where, you know, your mental health and even physical health is prioritized. I'm really happy for you about that. Thank you. Thank you.
1: You know what? That makes me feel good to hear. And I think I have to do a better job of recognizing and appreciate, like appreciating when I hear those words, because it's very easy to just focus on the negative pieces of your career, because it's something, hey, what could I have done better or have improved on? But I think you have to gather with a purpose. And the more people that are aware that this is happening, the more that we are creating a place where people can feel psychologically safe at work.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about those positives. What right now have you implemented or you're seeking out that has really, really Energized you or changed you know your life for the better?
1: Oh, definitely not focusing on the big moments. Um, in a light of transparency, I went through a huge emotional, mental, physical revelation this year. Of my life does not have to be focused on big moments. So I just turned thirty a couple of weeks ago, and I had the MBA, I had the VP title, I had a husband, I have a house. All right, all the boxes you're supposed yeah. to check as a, a model millennial. And <laughs> right. I was asked a question, and it was like, okay, were those your goals or the ones that society put on you? And it's like, now, wait a minute. That's not what we're talking <laughs> about right now. So I have been taking time to find that you can also have big moments while being absolutely still. So figuring out, I don't have to always be on the go. I don't have to be on to what is the next level that I need to get to to check this next box. I am fine being where I am and figuring out how can I find the joy in the little things that I'm doing and really incorporating those into the next role or client that I take on that understands that it's truly about figuring out how do I love my work through healthy boundaries and habits and there is life beyond work. And I won't say it's an easy journey, but it's a journey that I think I have to put myself on to set myself up for success for the next 10 and 20 years.
0: Yeah. And I know that naps
1: are big for you, right? (laughs) I think everybody that knows me knows that I am a big time nap girl. (laughs) Most of the companies I've been a part of, you will know. Here are my boundaries of where I am taking time to take a nap, or I am stepping away from my computer because things are blurry on my screen, and I, I want you to recognize that this is for me. If I don't do it, I'm going to come back crabby, and we're we're, we're all not going to be happy. So what is yeah. it look like? Um, I think my husband learned that lesson early on. He actually knew that I wasn't going home to clean up. I I'm like, all right, here's what it's like for me to not always be on. And I've recognized that that was sort of a symptom of me always going, go, 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 that my body's is just like, no, we're crashing because we can't go anymore. Yeah. And
0: how has that changed your life since you've started incorporating naps into the workday?
1: Um, definitely has me more focused around what I need to do and why I think it gives me a sense of clarity that I might miss when I have my to do in the morning. I've checked all those things off. I think I'm done with the workday and then, oh, nope, I'm going to take a quick nap. And it's like, oh, wait, in that deep sleep that I got to have for 30, 45 minutes. Oh, here's some other things that I can get accomplished today or emails that I need to respond to and making sure that I'm always on top of it rather than. Letting things fall through the cracks and it becoming more of an issue or time escape or having to work on the weekend or two to three in the morning when it was something I could have gotten done and throughout the day if I had remembered.
0: And what I really like about, you know, the how work is becoming more flexible and I like how, especially with remote work, there is the opportunity to take an hour and take a nap or go for a walk or work out or do something that will help that slump that you usually get throughout, you know, in the middle of the day. And I think as humans, we're very fluid. And so, you know, we have those moments where it's like, oh, yeah, we're productive. And then we have those moments where it's like, oh, I just feel like I don't have any energy. And so it's like to be expected to have the same kind of Productivity nine to five every single day. I think that's a little, a little asking too
1: much. <laughs> and I think we also have to figure out how to be persistent and a positive influence on helping people shed that guilt of if I'm not doing anything, then I'm lazy. Well, well no, if you're not doing anything, you're giving your body opportun- opportune time to recuperate, you're giving your brain time to reset, you're giving your mind time to be still rather than, okay, let me think about what I need to do next. When you're you're not actually resting, you're taking on that guilt of around like, okay, well, what else should I be doing besides sitting here watching TV when that's all you're doing yeah. in that moment? Yeah. Cheers to rest. Cheers okay. to naps. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that. Listen, I'm in Belize, I was like, all right, I definitely know I have to go back home. But it was, I think, in those moments of being able to be completely still and just listen to the ocean was like, this is what I needed to be doing. And how can I make sure that I'm not only celebrating in these moments of those things, but making sure that I'm finding ways to incorporate that when I get back to America or I'm back in the day to day, Hey, did we go grocery shopping? Hey, did we send out this engagement survey of figuring out when the time to make sure I'm taking moments for myself to regroup.
0: Yeah. And today, this has been a great conversation. I thank you so much for your transparency. Um, you know, I know that some of the topics were very, you know, emotional, emotionally taxing. And so I so appreciate you, you know, being able to give perspective to our audience. Thank you so, so much for that and so before we part is there anything that you would like to add or think that we missed during our
1: conversation um ooh this is a very i think being intentional about self care is how we set ourselves up for success and figuring out what you need to input from is how you truly can make sure you're making self for yourself not only in your personal life, but your professional life as well. Amazing.
0: And so if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do so?
1: Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm currently updating my business website and I can share that with you soon.
0: Amazing. Well, if you or anyone you know is like Janae who wants to create a better workplace for all, email me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.